Let's talk about cults and why they're so fascinating. Hello and welcome to Talk Bookish to Me, the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth to break down cults and share some cultish book recommendations. Awesome. Hi, Gwen. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Of course. I couldn't imagine having anybody else on for this episode. After your video that you made about cults, I was like, this is the person. This is who I need to pull into my (laughs) cult of my podcast and have you on. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I um, want to believe that I have more expertise about cults than I actually do. But I think you actually know a lot more than me. Um, But I guess for anyone listening, I'm Elizabeth. I'll just introduce myself. Um, You can find me at Reading Riley on YouTube, and that's Riley like a wry smile. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Goodreads, TikTok. I also have a book club called the Midnight Society Book Club. We read thriller, horror, and feminist fiction. And I typically read mostly thriller, horror, horror with some speculative sci-fi stuff in there as well. I like weird stuff. I like psychological stuff, which is why I'm really interested in cults as well. I'm just like, when I when I read, I'm really interested in knowing, and, and not just when I read, but in life. I'm interested in knowing why people behave the way they do and why they do the things they do. So this is just like perfection for that. It just matches right up with everything that like piques my interest. So very happy to be here. By no means are we experts, um, but we're going to do our best to share what we know and what we have learned from our own research. And of course, there will be book recommendations, including both fiction and nonfiction titles. But before we jump into that, I need to know what was your last five star read? And are you currently reading it? anything. Okay, so my last five-star read is Look Closer by David Ellis. Have you read this? No, but the paperback is coming out soonish, so I want to read it. It's I was shocked by the twists and turns in this one. And I that's went into that's saying something because you read a yes. lot of thrillers. Yes. I went into this thinking that it was going to be like Um, just kind of your average thriller and a lot of thrillers tend to do that they just like fall along a line that's like kind of like okay I've seen that before like once you've read enough thrillers you've seen it all you know Um, this one just kept going with the twists over and over and over again and like Alice Feeney but like next level Alice Feeney it was it was really really good and then I'm not currently reading anything I just finished yesterday I just finished I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay or Mackay um, and that one I really liked. It actually has like a podcast element to it, too. Oh, I love um, that. It's not like on page or in ear podcast, but it yeah. is us. The whole story is surrounding a woman who's a podcaster and she's going back to the boarding school where she grew, where she went to high school and to teach a class about podcasting. And so her students are making a podcast and they decide to investigate this case that happened when she was in school there where her roommate was murdered. Interesting. It was it was really good. I liked it. And I liked the writing a lot, too. So I figured we need to start with the basics. What is a cult and what are some common characteristics? But if you want to know what happens behind the scenes for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can find out. Join my exclusive Night Owl community over on Patreon to discover all of the perks available. Click the link in the show notes. All right. When you think of cult, 
what instantly comes to mind? Okay, so like the the word cult for me, it's so loaded because initially you want to think about, you know, there's certain characteristics that you think about. You think about this charismatic leader, you think about a group of people following them, but it has been so like over the years, that word has come to mean so many more things than that too. But for the sake of like this, of what we're talking about, that's what I think of is like this charismatic leader, a group of people following them. And this kind of line between like religion and cult. And as I've kind of done a little bit more research, I've realized that it doesn't have to be a religion. Like um, there are so many different aspects of cults that we don't typically think about that distinguish them from things like that or from like pyramid schemes but there are some that are political there are some that are philosophical therapy based or kind of self-help wellness based cults and they can become religions but they don't act they don't have to they don't need to be a religion in order to be considered a cult Um, But some do take advantage of that in order to get the First Amendment protections of the of religion. So I actually have found this uh, really great source and her name is Dr. Yanya Lalich. Uh, She is a sociology professor at California State University, Chico, and she also escaped a cult herself. She's escaped a left wing political cult. And interesting. Yeah. So I like went on her website and I found all of this like really juicy, good information. Um, So I'm going to be sharing a lot of that with you all today as well. But yeah, she says there are four main components. Okay, there's a charismatic leader who's usually a narcissist, a transcendent belief system, something that uh, addresses this idea of what is it all for or like what is life, that like existential concept. Systems of control where like the rules in the group, like how are they supposed to dress? How are they supposed to act? If somebody is like telling you, taking away your freedom of choice. And then um, systems of influence that play on the emotions, on your emotions, and that's how they get you to kind of conform and stuff like that. So she says those are the four basic components, but there are so many more. Yeah, according to Masterclass, the word cult descends from the Latin cultus, an ancient word encompassing the concepts of adoration, education, and cultivation. At first, it became like a catch-all term for groups devoted to a specific subject, so that could be any subject, you know, whether it's like a religious subject, like you were saying, like it can be various things. Um, It could be something philosophical and religious or more mundane and material. By the 19th century, it evolved to mean an unorthodox group of zealous and eccentric believers. Um, Some of the characteristics of cults are like that authoritarian control. Um, They encourage and thrive on dependency, They don't want you to be free. You know, they want you to be dependent on them. Um, Extremist beliefs, which can fluctuate depending on which cult you're reading about, of course. Um, Isolation from society, for the most part, um, because it prevents people from outside the cult interfering with your their the cult's thoughts and beliefs and stuff like that. And it creates that sort of hive mind mentality. Um, and then you have the reverence of the single individualist, which is the cult leader, and everything kind of revolves around this one person. And I think the isolation from society is a big one, too, because when you're in that space, it completely changes your frame of mind and like how you experience the world around you. In any case, when you think of like, like books like Lord of the Flies or where, where you're just isolated, it completely changes how you perceive the world and your 
almost like fight or flight instinct and how you like things that would have seemed normal in other situations or would have seemed weird in other situations seem normal in this situation. So I think that's a really big component. With the isolation, just think of 2020, right? How we were all isolated in our homes and how afterwards when everything was clear and we could go outside, it took some people a while to like break that barrier and go out. So isolation can do crazy things for sure. Oh, yeah. I feel like we're kind of still in that for like, I'm still like ever since 2020, I got real comfortable in my in my space. I'm still like, not ready to go out <laughs> in some in some way or another. Yeah, I've definitely gotten a lot more comfortable. Although I didn't get to quarantine like everyone did because I was carrying the mail. Wow, that had to have been interesting. Well, mail was extremely crucial. It was it was out of control. And then like when it came to contact with the customers too, like that was a whole nother thing because, you know, you don't want to get close to them or if you have to have, have them sign things and stuff like that. Yeah, it was it was intense. It was intense for sure. I made up for my quarantining after I after I quit that job. I'm like, I just want to stay home and I'm working from home now. So I'm, I love it. I'm I'm such a homebody, so it works for me. Um, so I do have some other, let's see, I have some other kind of characteristics that Dr. Yanya Lalich had mentioned as well. And I'm trying to decide like which ones we've already kind of gone over. Um, questioning and doubt and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Um, also, like when people first join, they are just bombarded with love. There's like a love bombardment and so it makes you feel like oh my god I found my people I found my place and yeah that like idea of like being in the normal world like you would question this but when you have all these people around you who are just a hundred percent on board and you like raising your hand to say excuse me that doesn't quite make sense that would just make you feel exactly the opposite of the purpose that you're there alienation you know it, it it's highly discouraged to have any kind of independent thoughts that are not like this hive mentality. Yeah, and the leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how members should think, act, feel, um, permission to date, marry, jobs, how many kids you can have, things like that. And then the, also there's this kind of division of us versus them. Like this group is elitist. Like it, if they're not in the group, they are other. They are not, they don't, they don't understand. They're not with us. Yeah, and then the leader is not accountable to any authorities. They're like this almost God in this position. Yeah, they are the authority. <laughs> they are the authority, yes. And I think, like she says that most uh, cult leaders are narcissists, which, make, which makes total sense to me because if they, even if they go into this not intending to take advantage of that, of like with good intention, you gotta think that those people who are you know, the leader are going to at some point say, hey, look what I can get away with, even if it's not a conscious thought. And and you can see how that could be a slippery slope down to like great manipulation and great like just overt, overtly taking advantage of these people that you are quote unquote leading. I think a lot of them actually know. I think a lot of them actually do it on purpose and like know like, hey, these these suckers. Think about YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. It's like your followers, like you have fans, people that, you know, adore you, that look up to you, that, you know, hang on your every word. 
That's what these cult leaders are. I don't know. See, that makes me feel that makes me feel implicit. I don't like that, <laughs> but that's true. If you look at it like that, you know, it's like I mean, because I don't look at the people that follow me like, oh, they're my fans. But I'm trying to think of like a real world scenario here. I mean, not that cults aren't real world, but. You know, I I feel like the cult leaders are those people that would be like, they're listening to me. I can tell them anything I want and they're going to listen. They're like the mega influencers. But also it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of people to be a cult. It can be just two people. And then that's where that fine line is between like um, abusive relationships and cult mentality. There's a lot of similarities there. There's a lot of that um, manipulation, the gaslighting, like all of that happens just on a grander scale when you think of it like in like a typical cult setting yeah telling you what you can do how you can dress all of those things where you can go when you can go exactly 100 percent. it doesn't have to be a huge group of people yeah wanting them the isolation we talked about oh they're preoccupied with bringing in new members that's another one and that's where it kind of crosses over in similarities between a cult and like a pyramid scheme because it works kind of the same way. You start with your main person. They bring in people. They bring in people. They bring in people. Those people bring in people who bring in people who bring in people. And it's got like if you plotted it out, it's got a very similar shape to like a typical pyramids game. And cults like Nixium, basically, that's what it that's what it was. It was a pyramid scheme. There's so there's so many of them too. I started watching documentaries and trying to like, okay, what's the what's this cult? What's that cult? Heaven's Gate. I watched a documentary on HBO about that. I watched the um I finally watched the what is the country old country what is that one it's the the Rajneeshi. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't finish it. I watched the first like three or four episodes, I think. Um and from my perspective, I'm like these people are pretty cool. I'm like, I know it gets to pass that and I didn't get there yet, but I'm like, I can totally see how people would get sucked into that. Did you watch the one? What's her name? I think her name is Teal Swan. No. Okay, you have to. I'll send you the information. Yeah, I think that's her name, but she's like on YouTube. And it's like, I wish it was more, more episodes. I need to know more, but it was just wild this dr yanya lalich also she's written like a ton of books so check that out too i don't have any on this list but and i haven't read any of them but she's written like five or six books about cult cult fiction asks what it means to be socially transgressive and it challenges readers if your circumstances were just a little bit different what kind of decisions would you make Books explore everyday vulnerabilities against the backdrop of love, jealousy, grief, struggles for justice, and a search for answers. And it allows us to satisfy that moment of possibility of revelation and resistance. So my main question is, do you find cults fascinating yourself? It already sounds like you do. And why do you think people are so intrigued? Uh, Yes, of course. Yes, I do. Um, The... The main thing that I think most people that I that I'm intrigued by is that I think most people would say they would not join a cult. And I know I know you've said this as well. Certainly people don't like as kids say I want to join a cult when I grow up. That sounds like so much fun. Nobody's ever said that. But there's there's obviously a disconnect there. There's a disconnect between what what the average person thinks about themselves and reality. So that's what's like the most the most interesting thing for me is trying to figure out where that discrepancy comes from. I think the main draw for most people is this existential need to understand the meaning of life. I think when you get to 
especially when you get to a certain age, like as I'm getting older and as I'm getting comfortable and like in my life, those questions creep in. They creep in and they you think like, well, what is it all for? You know, not in a, like a depression kind of way, but also just like questioning philosophy and life in general. And for me, it's it's interesting because I, I grew up Catholic um, but I'm currently consider myself, I consider myself humanist, like do to other people as you would do to yourself. Um, but not having that connection with a quote unquote God is something that I do think about. So that's something I like to think about because I don't, um, like I believe in energy, but I don't pers- believe, in, believe in like a quote unquote God. And not that I think other people shouldn't or whatever. Like I think you should believe whatever, you know, whatever you believe in makes you happy and like good for you. Definitely makes me question those things on a, from a different perspective that I think than a lot of people. And so, yeah, like how do you connect those things for yourself? No matter what you believe. I think that's um, just a question that everybody has. And when looking up things about cults, what I've realized is that there is like a type of person that is a typically attracted to cults. And from what I've found, most people, it's not it's not the person that you would think. It's not the person that you would think. They're typically well-educated. They're typically high-functioning, idealistic. Women, women are um, 70% of cults, according to various research, are, are women. So the women outnumber the men. Also, many, like myself, have experienced mainstream religion and rejected it. So that's what I find interesting. I kind of fit into this, which is scary. I'm going to have to save Elizabeth from a cult, I think. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I also, like, I think I would never join a cult. But again, like, you just never know. The way I'm saying this, it does sound like I'm, like, ready to join a cult, doesn't it? But you said 70% women. And I think that you had a good point about why mainly women would join cult. Dr. Bromley of Virginia Commonwealth University, he says that women simply attend more social gatherings, either religious or otherwise, which would make them more available to be in the presence of these people to start out with. It makes them statistically more likely to join groups that will ultimately victimize them. And that says they're therefore they're more comfortable being under um, an authority figure. But still others say that that's like ridiculous and that's not true. Emma Klein, the author of the best-selling cult-themed novel, The Girls, which I have not read, theorizes that young women are often taught to seek the attention of men and wait for quote-unquote rescue. And joining a cult is a way for many young women to feel as if they are seizing their destiny. I think cults are so fascinating, like you said, because we always say, oh, that would never happen to me. So we wonder how it happened to them. You know, Um, cults promise community and acceptance. And in a digital age of isolation and loneliness, I can understand the need to seek out and find those things. Um, What I don't understand, and the reason why I say never me is because I feel like I'm educated. And I know the dark side of cults. um, And I don't think I would fall for the charisma of a cult leader. That's not a challenge, though, (laughs) to a cult leader out there. So leave me alone. Um, However, I think that sometimes people don't say, oh, hey, look, I'm joining a cult. Um, Rather to them, it's just a group of like-minded people with goals and a purpose that aligns with what they were looking for or what they already believed. Um, 
And that's definitely not a cult, right? You know, so it's just kind of like defining what a cult is. And I think the more that we study it and read about it, the more you're finding that, man, there's so many cults out there. So let's go ahead and move on to some recommendations. Within These Walls by Anya Alborn. Anya Alborn wrote Brother, which has been like a viral TikTok um, book, um, and which I read and really liked. So I decided to read this one by her as well. And we're following this man who is a washed up crime writer, uh, Lucas Graham, and he's desperate for a comeback. So when he's promised this exclusive access to a notorious cult leader and death row inmate, Jeffrey Holcomb, the opportunity is too good to pass up. And he leaves for Lucas leaves New York for the scene of the crime. So this guy, Lucas Holcomb, he says, I will give you this exclusive interview, but you have to go live in this house. In this house, years earlier, him and his his people that followed him all took their own lives in this house. Not him, obviously, but um, the other people. Um, and his kind of mantra is that you live on forever. You never die. And so there's this crossover in this one between kind of religious beliefs, cultish things, but also like supernatural things. So Lucas moves into this um, house to try to get the scoop, but he's also got his 12-year-old daughter with him. He's going through a divorce. He's having a hard time. She is going through this phase in her life where she has a crush on this guy. And so she, because of this crush, is becoming more and more interested in the occult and kind of these darker, more sinister things. And we don't really know. Is it like something she's really into it or is she just trying to impress a guy? Like she's 12. Most of the people that were in this cult were runaways. Um, and they were drawn to this message of family, unity, unconditional love. And Lucas wants to tell the real story of the of Halcom's faith, faithfully departed. But when Halcom goes back on his promise of granting Lucas this exclusive information, he's left to put the story together on his own. And there is so there's definitely this like ghostly supernatural aspect of this one. Um, I really love Anya Alborn's writing because she's so good at characters and the characters feel real. My only really complaint with this one was that I wish that his daughter was a little bit older, like, you know, like a teenager, because she definitely gives that like teenage angst and she read older than 12. So I had to kind of suspend my disbelief a little bit for that. But this is different from the typical cult cult fiction because it does have that paranormal aspect so you have that like little bit of spookiness but you also really delve into this cult and who they were and why Jeffrey is wanting to draw him back to this house kind of reminded me of Heaven's Gate but no aliens and it's also a little bit of a slow burn this is a longer book um, it's about almost 450 pages, but the ending was, in my opinion, was great. I think it's going to be a divisive ending. I don't think everybody is going to enjoy that. But for me, I really thought it was just like perfection. The ending was great. Okay, so my first two recommendations are going to be about Scientology. They're both nonfiction. Um, so the first one, and I would recommend this one over the second recommendation, but I think they both bring a little something different. So the first one is Beyond Belief, My Secret Life Inside Scientology and My Harrowing Escape by Jenna Miscavige Hill. And the second one is Troublemaker, Surviving Hollywood and Scientology by Leah Remini. 
Okay, so Beyond Belief is about Jenna Miscavige Hill, um, who was raised to obey. She is the niece of the Church of Scientology's leader, David Miscavige. And she grew, grew up at the center of this highly controversial and powerful organization. It's her story about her time in the organization and how she made her courageous escape. This book blew my mind and it was everything that I wanted to know about Scientology. Um, so at seven years old, Jenna was essentially a nurse, like a real nurse in charge of almost 100 children and their welfare. She was seven years old. If you know anything about Scientology, you'll know that the head of the church is a man named David Miscavige and Jenna is his niece. Beyond Belief breaks it all down from how Jenna got involved in the church her family, and what her day-to-day -day routine looked like. Horrible. Um, she shared how the church operated and how they treated her and how monotonous it was. I was thoroughly engaged and interested throughout my time reading this memoir, and it did feel a bit overwhelming to take in all of the terms, but there is a glossary in the back. And just the overall fascination, yet like I couldn't believe this was actually happening. Um, obviously this happened and is happening, but from an outsider perspective, it's just wild to think about, especially their belief systems. Um, what I learned is members don't necessarily believe these things, but the threat of losing everything they love keeps them in place until they finally don't care what they lose and they want out. Like you're willing to give up your family at this point. You're just, you're done. Um, and it shows just the sheer power of brainwashing or that bounding like you were talking about. I'd say if you're interested about the inner workings of Scientology or how things ran prior to 2005 when Jenna left the organization, this is a firsthand account from childhood to adulthood that's worth reading. And then, like I said, Troublemaker, uh, this is act actress Leah Remini's um, little memoir of her time in Scientology. Um, it was also an A&E special. And I actually liked the special better than the book just because like she's on screen and she's an actress. So I felt like she sold it more, you know what I'm saying? But bold, brash and bravely confessional troublemaker chronicle Leah Remini's remarkable journey towards emotional and spiritual freedom, both for herself and for her family. Um, it's designed to reveal the hard won truths of a life lived honestly. Um, and like I said, I would go with beyond belief, but it's troublemakers better if you want a little bit more behind the scenes with like Hollywood A-listers and stuff like that aspect of it. But like I said, there is an A&E special. It's called Leah Remini Scientology in the Aftermath. It came out in 2016. I don't know if you can find it anywhere, but I think it's worth the watch. Okay, so my next recommendation is going to be Just Like Mother by Anne Heltzel. This is another fiction. I think I only have fiction to talk about, and I think you have quite a few nonfiction, which is great. We are following Maeve, and the last time she saw her cousin was the night that she escaped the cult they were raised in for the past two decades, Maeve has worked hard to build a normal life in New York City where she keeps everyone and everything at a safe distance. And when Andrea suddenly reappears, Maeve regra regains the only true friend she's ever had. Soon she's spending more time at Andrea's remote Catskills estate than in her own cramped apartment. And Maeve doesn't even mind that her cousin's wealthy work, work friends, 
clearly disapprove of her single lifestyle. After all, Andrea has made a fortune in the fertility industry. Baby fever comes with the territory. The more Maeve immerses herself in Andrea's world, the more disconnected she feels from her life back in the city, and the cousin's increasing attachment triggers memories Maeve has fought hard to bury. But confronting the terrors of her childhood may be the only way for Maeve to transcend the nightmare still to come. This one really delivered what I expected it to. The twists were a little bit predictable, but even though I saw them coming, I had a really good time getting there. The atmosphere in this one is really, really good. Um, the audio narrator also, if you are into audiobooks, is Elizabeth Evans, who is one of my personal favorite narrators. She also narrates the Throne of Glass and Crescent City, like the Sarah J. Moss stuff. Her performance was stellar, as usual. She just has one of those voices that like just makes you trust her. The vibes in this, like the culty vibes, so good. Some of these culty things hit a little close to home, especially with the um, kind of the political milieu in the U.S. right now as far as like uh, having babies and women in general and abortions, things like that. That connection was really what made my heart pound, but something to consider if you're currently, you know, especially sensitive to subjects about motherhood or if you're like trying to have a baby and can't that, you know, triggers, check the triggers. This was my first time reading from this author and I would definitely read from them again. Overall, great writing. And I thought it was a pretty original horror story. I love that you recommended this because Sav from Riveting Reads and I um, did a whole in-depth book discussion on the podcast last October for this book and we both really enjoyed it. So um, I'm going to link that episode in the show notes for anybody that wants to go back and listen to that. We talked about all of the culty things there too. And so I love that that popped up on your recommendation list. So my next recommendation is The Children of Red Peak by Craig DeLuey, which is a fiction book and it's considered horror as well. Um, so this one, we have David Young, Deacon Price, and Beth Harris, and they live with a dark secret. They grew up in an isolated religious community in the shadow of the mountain Red Peak, and they are among the few who survived its horrific last days. Years later, the trauma of what they experienced never feels far behind. Um, so I wanna share a few quotes um, from this book that really like, kind of spoke to me for this episode. The first one is, quote, if God appeared in front of you and told you to sacrifice your own child with a knife, the way he told Abraham to kill Isaiah, would you do it? I mean, <laughs> I was just kind of like, oh, okay, this really makes you think, you know? And the second quote is, most people, David said, do not wake up one day and decide to sign up for a cult. They are vulnerable, searching for a home, hoping to make sense of a confusing world. There's nothing wrong joining a group that provides truth and belonging. Even the word cult, which simply means a ritualistic devotion to a person, doctrine, deity, whatever, is not necessarily bad. What is wrong, what makes a cult the bad kind of cult, is the group uses mind control, exploitation, blind obedience, and manipulation dependency against its members, end quote. Like I said, this is horror. I really liked the pacing of this. I really liked the writing. Personally, for my reading tastes, the ending was not my favorite, but I think a lot of 
readers will love the ending. Like specifically you, Elizabeth, I think you would like this one. My next recommendation, I think you have, I'm pretty sure you have read this as well, is When She Returned by Lucinda Berry. This one has some very, the reviews are very different. Some people absolutely love this. Some people absolutely hate it. One woman's reappearance throws her family into turmoil, exposing dark secrets and the hidden, often devastating truth of family relationships. Kate Bennett vanished from a parking lot 11 years ago, leaving behind her husband and young daughter. When she shows up at a Montana gas station, clutching an infant and screaming for help, investigators believe she may have been abducted by a cult. Kate's return flips her family's world upside down. Her husband is now remarried. Her daughter barely remembers her. Kate herself doesn't look or act like she did before. And while the family tries to help Kate reintegrate into society, they discover truths they've been hiding from each other about their own relationships. But they aren't the only ones with secrets. As the family unravels what happened to Kate, a series of shocking revelations shows that Kate's return is more sinister than any of them could have imagined. Of this like video that I did where I was like exploring different cold books, this one I felt was the most true to how a cult would actually form and the most true to what it would feel like to be sucked into a cult essentially great writing as always from lucinda berry she she just understands the trauma of human and human behavior really really well because she is um a psychologist if you're looking for a cult book that accurately represents the way that a charismatic individual can manipulate and corrupt then i think this would be for you because we get kate's point of view we get her daughter's point of view and i think we also get the point of view of the new wife it's not one that has like a huge twist ending I don't think anyway I might have I, I did kind of expect that from Lucinda Berry but this is not that one but it does really delve into those dynamics between especially the relationship between Kate and her daughter it was actually quite sad in my opinion I, I thought the ending was just like kind of sad but again true to life like I feel like this is how that situation would have played out when it comes to emulating like what a real cult would be like I really think this one hits hits the mark Another nonfiction cultish, The Language of Fanaticism by Amanda Montel. And this is where I it really opened my eyes to the language that we use in everyday life and how that can be cultish. I mean, literally, that's the title of the book. So in cultish, Montel argues that the key to manufacturing intense ideology, community, and us-them attitudes all comes down to language. In both positive ways and shadowy ones, cultish language is something we hear and are influenced by every single day. An extraordinary, well-researched examination of cult success, how a charismatic leader can use language to capitalize on a person's need to belong and have meanings in their lives. The knowledge and passion come through using relatable examples and attention to detail. She, Montel, dissects definitions and explores the nuance. She gives the readers tools to analyze the words that we hear every day and determine which of our groups are healthy and which are toxic and which are a little bit of both. Um, the development of these ideas reveals the power of language in our everyday lives. And she also has a podcast with her friend and they talk about all kind of cultish things over there. So I will make sure that I link her podcast in the show notes as well. 
let's see. So next, I'm going to recommend another fiction, and that is actually uh, Bunny by Mona Awad. So this is actually one of my favorite books, and it's not a cult book in the typical sense that you would think of a cult book. So we're following a scholarship student, Samantha Heather Mackey. She prefers the company of her dark imagination to that of most people. She's utterly repelled by the rest of her graduate fiction writing cohort in New England's elite Warren University. A clique of unbearably saccharine yet sinister rich girls who call each other bunny and seem to move and speak as one. But everything changes when Samantha receives an invitation to the bunny's fabled smut salon and finds herself inexplicably drawn to their front door, ditching her only friend, Ava, in the process. As Samantha plunges deeper and deeper into the bunny's world and begins to take part in their monstrous experiments, the edges of reality begin to blur, and soon her friendships with Ava and the bunnies will be brought into deadly collision. Now, I would not recommend this book for everybody. (laughs) It's definitely weird. It's weird as hell. But to me, this book is about that fine line between um, creativity and insanity, just going a little too far over the edge. And this group of girls that call each other bunny, they are quote unquote like perfect in every way um this it's very similar to like heathers if you've seen heathers but once she gets on the inside like she she does not like them at all and when she gets on the inside of this clip like she's drawn to them and they invite her in and she sees what's happening and then you see like a typical cult book how they're indoctrinating her how her thoughts change how she starts to lose sense of her own reality and ends up inside of this this group that um she never would have seen herself being a part of in that aspect yes it completely fits that narrative of the cult i love that you recommended this and i almost want to do another podcast episode with you in the future on bunny just by itself because the first, the first and only time I read Bunny, I hated it. I rated it one star, hated it. But the thing is, the more time that I've had since I've read it, and the more people I've heard talk about it, the more discussions I've seen on it, the more I've researched it on my own, because okay, number one, Mona Awad can write. Yes, she can. I loved her writing. But I'm like, girl is too smart for me. (laughs) Maybe I didn't get it. (laughs) So like, honestly, I think I know it was a me problem because I know there's tons of people like you that love that book. She has the words that she puts on the page, but then she has this whole other story all in between the lines. And I was not reading in between the lines. I was only reading the black and white print on the page. And I feel like that's where my rating and my enjoyment suffered because while I enjoyed the writing and I was like, wow, she's crafting a story. I'm so intrigued what's going on. When I got to the end, I was like, absolutely not. This book is trash. But I feel like I now I feel like I understand it more. And I feel like if I reread it, I might enjoy it a lot more. So I'm like, I need to do a whole reread. I would love to reread it and sit down with some people that love it and like have like a little discussion about it because I feel like 
I feel like that people that rate it low probably are like me and just didn't understand. <laughs> okay, my next recommendation is This Might Hurt by Stephanie Warble. And this is a fiction, mystery, thriller, I would say more mystery. Um, okay, so can we ever escape the lasting legacy of childhood trauma? And This Might Hurt, readers follow three women as they exercise their demons, face their fears, and if the folks at Wisewood have their way, reach their maximized selves, no matter the cost. The writing was engaging because there's multiple points of view. The third seemingly unconnected POV was fascinating and like my favorite part of the entire like story. Um, cruel, chilling, and unhinged, but fascinating. So there's Natalie and Kit, the sisters, and the unnamed POV in between chapters. The story itself is your typical cult leader devotee story with a concerned family member trying to rescue the devotee. But there's some fascinating characters, including the cult leader that make this story stand out. It wasn't necessarily thrilling, like I said, but it definitely was like eerie and gripping and atmosphere. Atmospheric. I will warn you that there is a bit of an ambiguous ending. So if that's not your thing, steer clear, but otherwise know going in that it's dark in all the right places, a bit slower paced than you might assume. But yeah, I really enjoyed that one. My last recommendation is A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. This is fiction mystery. This is a moody and atmospheric story about a man hired to find a missing author who then goes missing himself. So the story begins with Travis Wren, a man whose gift enables him to see visions of people's past by touching items they've left behind. Pausing right there to say, when people pitched this book to me, they told me it was fantasy and I don't read fantasy. And they were like, it's magical realism fantasy. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to read this story. This is not my thing. But that's why they said that because he has this gift where he can pick up a object and be like, oh, I know where they've been and what they've done. But that's such a small part of the story. So you, it doesn't really explain that part how he can do that. So you just have to kind of believe that and then go into the rest of the story. So anyway, he's looking for best-selling children's author Maggie St. James, who disappeared without a trace several years earlier. As Travis follows a trail of clues into the remote woods of Northern California, he finds evidence of an isolated community. As the story continues, the plot switches focus to Pastoral, the isolated community, and introduces us to Theo, Kala, and B. This seemingly peaceful commune is hiding secrets, but no one has come to pastoral in a long time and no one ever leaves. There is an infection in the forest surrounding the community, threatening to kill anyone who steps across the boundary. So Theo works um, at the main hut near the entrance to the community. And secretly, he's been walking further and further past the boundaries of the community each night to explore what is beyond the trees. And then one night, he makes it far enough to notice an abandoned truck. And inside the truck, he finds an aged photograph. Theo shares his findings with his wife, and then more strange things are discovered. Okay, so my last recommendation is, like you said, probably my favorite of these cult books, and that is The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead. Have you read this one? Yes, and I agree. <laughs> so okay, good. okay. Now this one, okay, let me just tell you what it's about first. While in college in upstate New York, Shay Evans and her best friends meet a captivating man who seduced them with a web of lies about the way the world works, bringing them under his thrall. By senior year, Shay and her friend Laurel were the only ones who managed to escape. 
Now we're eight years later. Shay's built a new life in this tiny Texas suburb, which which I love as well because I'm from Texas or I live in Texas. I'm from Michigan. Um, but then she hears the horrifying news of Laurel's death, delivered of all ways from her favorite true crime podcaster. And she begins to suspect that the past she thought she buried is still very much alive and the predators more dangerous than ever. So she recruits the help of this podcast host who was her like old friend. Um, and she goes back to the place where she vowed to never return in search of answers. As she follows the threads of her friend's life, she's pulled into a dark, seductive world where wealth and privilege shield brutal philosophies that feel all too familiar. And when Shay's obsession with uncovering the truth becomes so consuming that she can no longer separate her desire for justice from darker desires newly awakened, she must confront the depths of her own complicity and conditioning. But in a world built for men to rule it, both inside the cult and outside of it, is justice even possible? And if so, how far will Shay go to get it? This cult in this book is like you you don't even hear about the cult until you're a certain part of the way in, because at first you were just getting her story, who she is. Um, but wow, this one just pulled the rug out from under me in the best way. It could be considered dystopian, but I think what what hits what it feels like dystopian is that it just hits so close to home because this is really commenting um about the patriarchy the way this cult is set up and that's where the darkness comes from here a lot of people are like this book is so dark and so dark and it's not in this overly descriptive detail or something like that it's about the fact that it does hit so close to home and it's about being a woman in this world it's that sinister feeling that this could be like this could be our future um some of the themes in here are beauty and how it grants favor and vulnerability simultaneously i thought that aspect of it was so cool because people will say that like well, women have all the power because they can look at these women who get on OnlyFans and they make millions of dollars in months. Like, that's so much power. Men couldn't do that. But that power, that power right there also comes with vulnerability. That same thing that makes you popular and that, that makes those women able to make all that money is the thing that makes them, that puts them in a position where they are vulnerable of being hurt in so many different ways. And then power is another huge theme of this. How do we attain it? Who determines who has the power? And then also consent. At what point can consent no longer be freely given? If we can't give consent while under the influence of alcohol, say, um, can we give consent while under the influence of men? Can we ever give consent? Because the way the patriarchy is set up, we are constantly under the influence you know, we are constantly living in this world that is set up for men to have the power. We are raised to feel like we want to fit into that. We should be small. We should take up less space. We should have the perfect body. We should do all these things. And at the same time, you know, that attention is the same thing that draws predators to take advantage of us. And so when we are going through that stage where our bodies are changing, um, it's no wonder why teenagers are so angsty, especially teenage girls, because it's so confusing. Are we supposed to want that? Are we supposed to feel, you know, powerful? Or are we supposed to feel, but at the same time, they're telling us, you know, don't walk outside by at night by yourself. Don't do this by yourself. If you wear that skirt, then you're asking for it. If you're doing, you know, and so there's that 
very visceral distinction between but it's also like so cleverly woven together that you don't know what's power and what's not and that's like the whole gist of this book which i loved um there's also a discussion about obligation in here what is worth sacrificing in order to put a stop to the suffering of others but i loved this book i put it down and i was like I, this has to be five stars there's no way it cannot be five stars because it made me think it was terrifying it was engaging uh, it was really really good highly recommend this one. I just wanted to quickly mention um, two more recommendations, but I haven't personally read them, but they sound very interesting to me. So I thought I would go ahead and pass along that information to you. The first one is Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez. Um, I believe it was recently translated and it released in February. So obviously I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's about a young father and son who set out on a road trip, devastating by the death of the wife and the mother that they both loved united in grief the pair travel to her ancestral home where they must confront the terrifying legacy that she has bequeathed a family called the order um, that commits unspeakable acts in search of immortality and then coming september 5th of this year is a book called Sure, I'll Join Your Cults by Maria Bamford. And one of my patrons actually spotted this and sent the information my way because they know I'm always interested in cult, like fiction and nonfiction. Um, and it says, from weird, scary, and genius stand-up comedian Maria Bamford, a brutally honest and hilarious frantic memoir about show business, mental health, and the comfort of rigid belief systems. So I know we have shared lots of stuff with you today, lots of information to unpack and some great books to check out. That wraps up this episode of Why Cults Are So Fascinating and Book Recommendations. Let me know what you think about cults and share your book recommendations by following at Talk Bookish Podcast on Instagram. Check out Elizabeth's video, Do I Like Books About Cults? A reading vlog, which will be linked in the show notes along with her social media. Thank you so much for joining me today, Elizabeth. I'm honestly so honored that you're here and I appreciate all your research that you did for this episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. I hope that we got across like the gist of everything that we were meaning to to get across here because it's just so complicated. There the idea of cults in general, it's it's just this huge like overwhelming subject. You could honestly just like this could be your you know, you, you like your doctorates in cults if you wanted to, I feel like, because it's just so much to explore and so much to think about. But yeah, I had such a blast doing this and hopefully some people found some good book recommendations too that they want to read. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. Talk Bookish to Me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions, recommendations, and literary topics galore. Rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to tag at Talk Bookish Podcast and at Lavender Mug in your listening selfies and stories on Instagram. The link for Patreon is in the show notes as well. So make sure you check out all the perks I offer to my members. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.